Father, we do thank you for this beautiful day. We do thank you um, again for the privileged opportunity that we share in being able to meet together, gather together, worship together, um, and to study your word. Uh, We pray that you might be glorified this day through the saints, those that are yours through faith in Jesus Christ. We pray that this time might uh, be a reminder for us as to the importance and of the, uh, the application of the great and grand truths revealed through the book of Revelation for us at this very day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, uh, last week, if you weren't here, uh, we kind of began, you know, a, 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 an overview of Revelation. I explained the four main interpretive views, if you remember. Um, we also looked at the different millennial views, um, why there's differences. Um, we talked about apocalyptic literature, um, the importance of understanding apocalyptic literature in that it was always intended to be interpreted symbolically. And when you read the book of Revelation, wherever possible, you interpret it symbolically. <laughs> Amen. We know that John was on a literal island. This we know. Um, he... he uh, He refers to himself as your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom. So for the sake of time, let me go ahead and get going. Let me read the first um, introductory verses here. Actually, I'll read through verse 11. And then we'll we'll begin this overview, um, much of which I covered when I did the introduction to Revelation, when I preached through it, at least the first 15 chapters. Um, And we'll look at that again. So, beginning here, Revelation chapter 1. Remember, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the book of Revelations. Amen? It's the revelation. So, it's, it makes my neck cringe when people say it's the revelations of Jesus. It's the revelation of Christ. Verse 1, the revelation of of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must, what, beloved? Soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what's written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Here it is, a literal letter. Just like any other epistle, this is a literal epistle. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So he who is, it's the eternal one, Jesus Christ, the one who was, who is to come, And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. 
I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see, not what you hear, but what you see. In a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and Pergamum, and Thyatira, and Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. We'll stop there. Um, again, the book of Revelation um, is, is broken up into about s- seven sections. And chapters one through three include the prologue, the introduction, and the seven literal letters, letters to those seven literal churches. And all of that forms the first of those second se- seven sections. So the first section is chapters one through three. Um, these, again, beloved, are seven historic churches that represent um, as a whole and bearing resemblance to the entire church of Jesus Christ from throughout time. And therefore, by addressing these seven churches, he addresses the whole church to this very day. Remember, seven is a symbolic number that represents what? Completion, fullness, perfection. And so he, he addresses the worldwide church here by means of these seven churches. Um, John tells us here that everything that we read in the Revelation is occurring soon. He said the time is near. And it is, in fact, taking place now. It was taking place then, and it's taking place now because he's referring to an age. He's referring to an epoch of time. Welcome back, brother. <laughs> an epoch of time. And that epoch is known as the last days. The last days. Now, it's a mistake for us or anyone, any believer, to think that the end times is something that remains exclusively to the far future or the last seven years of history on the earth. When Paul, for instance, refers to the last days, it may, it may seem natural for us to apply that term, and many of you have probably grown up with this, to that time immediately preceding the glorious return of Jesus Christ. But the last days must be interpreted biblically. Last days meaning the time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. So it is now, in John's time, from the time of Christ's ascension, the beginning of the end. And that is why the New Testament is clear in in stating that we now live in the last days. And that's exactly how the writers of the New Testament speak. Peter, for instance, preaching at Pentecost, he's quoting Joel in Acts 2, verse 17. And he says, this is the last day. Hebrews begins, chapter 1 and verse 2, in these last days, God has spoken to us through his Son. So it is coming, it is soon, it is near, and it is here. 
So the, the inaugurated kingdom will one day be consummated, and Jesus inaugurated that kingdom when he came the first time. So it's very important that we understand this. So it's between those times that all of the events of Revelation have occurred and do continue um, to unfold in one form or another. Um, So question, were the original recipients of John's letter, this epistle, the revelation of Jesus Christ, were they facing a real beast, beloved? Yes, absolutely. Were they facing a real false prophet? Were they facing antichrists? Absolutely. All of which were generated by the power of the dragon. Yes, they were. Undeniably, yes, they were facing a real beast, real false prophet, antichrist, the spirit of antichrist, all by the power of the dragon. Now, will Christians in our time face real beasts, beloved? Real false prophets? Real antichrists? Absolutely. By the power of the dragon? Yes, absolutely. And will those Christians living prior to the consummation of the kingdom face real beasts, a real false prophet, real antichrist, a real man of lawlessness by the power of the dragon? Yes. Yes. Do we live in the age of the spirit of the Antichrist? Do we live as kingdom people, the kingdom established, while at the same time, does the church suffer tribulation? Absolutely. John says of himself, I, John, verse 9, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom. In the kingdom. Now, John, the same author here, in his own letter in 1 John 2, verse 18, he says, Children, it is, present tense, the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. So we either go by John's word or we make up some fictitious story about last hour and last days. So it was the last hour in John's day. It's, it was the last hour in Augustine's day. It was the last hour in Calvin's and Luther's day. It was the last hour in Lloyd-Jones' day, and it's the last hour in our day before the return of Christ. So again, the last hour is that period of the already inaugurated but not yet consummated kingdom of Jesus Christ. So it is here, it is now, and we can say it is Apocalypse Now, baby. It's Apocalypse Now. If any of you remember that movie, you would laugh. It's Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse means the unveiling. Not something hidden, but something revealed. Something uncovered. So that, there's the first section of Revelation, the first of seven sections, chapters uh, one through three. Um, So... uh, If this was written to a group of people 2,000 plus years into the future, how could it have been an encouragement to these people suffering at this time? It couldn't have. There's no way it could have. So the book of Revelation cannot mean for us 
It cannot mean for us what it was not intended for them to understand. It was intended for this group of recipients spread throughout Asia Minor um, in apocalyptic form and style to be understood in picturesque form. And that's how you understand apocalyptic literature is in pictures. Moving pictures. And it's been said you don't look at Revelation through a microscope, you look at it through a kaleidoscope. Moving pictures, moving symbols. It's very symbolic language. So the second section is uh, chapters 4 through 7. In chapter 4 and 5, we see a vision of the heavenly throne room of Almighty God. Chapter 6, we see the opening of the seven seals. Chapter 7, we see a sealing of 144,000. Remember, it's 144,000 from 12 tribes. That's what John hears. But when he looks, he sees something different. He sees a multitude that cannot be numbered from every tribe in every nation from throughout the world. So another key principle in Revelation is that things are not always as they appear. There's many things that John sees, but or hears rather, and when he looks, he sees something different. Beginning with... Uh, Who is worthy to open the scroll, beloved? No one in heaven, no one on earth, no one underneath the earth. So there's silence in heaven for about a half hour, and John is troubled. And all of, the, all of a sudden, he says, do not fear, do not be troubled. There's one worthy to open the scroll. It's the lion from the tribe of Judah. So here, with all this anticipation and waiting, he knows what the lion of the tribe of Judah is. He knows that symbolism. But when he looks, he doesn't see something representing a lion. What does he see? A lamb as though it had been what? Slain. So what he hears is one thing. What he sees is something else, but they go hand in hand. It's the same thing. It's the same person. It's Christ. So he begins with the slain lamb of God, his victory over death, who's ruling now over the kingdom. And then that section ends with final judgment. We see final judgment seven times. (laughs) We see the final judgment of Jesus Christ seven times in the book of Revelation. So again, it's seeing the same thing from a different what, beloved? a different perspective or a different angle. That's what revelation is. It's pictures of the same thing being repeated. It's called recapitulation, to recap. Once again, events down on earth and events from behind the curtain of heaven. There's a cosmic reality to the things that are going on on earth. And again, this second section ends with final judgment, salvation for the elect, condemnation for the, for the wicked, that is, Christ rejectors. And uh, in chapter 6 and verses 12 through 17, we see final judgment from the perspective of those who perish. If you remember when we went through Revelation, I don't expect you to remember details like this, but in chapter 6, verses 12 to 17, final judgment from the perspective of those who perish. In chapter 7, 
and verses 9 through 17, we see final judgment for the, from the perspective of God's elect. It's the same scene from two different places, two different perspectives. Now, an, another principle in understanding the book of Revelation is that these symbols in motion, uh, again, this is very important, are revealed in a way that does not seem to be what we would think they would be. And the first example is the one I just gave you, the lion, when he looks, it's a lamb. When he hears 144,000, he sees again a number of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. The true, in other words, the true Israel of God. So th- uh, uh, this is the, things as we see them are always not consistent with the way in which God sees them. Is that not true in our own lives today? So in chapter 5, he sees something very different than what he hears. Um, we see all the symbology, um, uh, symbolism, symbology, symbolism. Um, it's viewed one way with earthly eyes, and it's manifested another way, if you will, with heavenly eyes. So there's, in a nutshell, section 2, made up of verses 4 through 7. And then section 3 is uh, cha- uh, chapters 8 through 11. We see the seven trumpets at the end of chapter 11. We see again um, that this section also culminates with final judgment once again. Chapter 11 and verse 15, he shall reign forever and ever. Chapter 11 and verse 18, the nations raged, but wrath came. Section 3. Then in section 4, Verses 12 to 14, we see a woman, a male child, a dragon is revealed, final judgment is unleashed, and then, and hold this for now, but between chapters 11 and 12, there's a kind of a break, and we'll we'll come back to that in just a little bit. There's this kind of weird break there. So... Section 4 is chapters 12 to 14. And then in chapter, or section 5, rather, is made up of chapters 15 and 16. There we see the bold judgments. Again, we see the culmination of final judgment in chapter 16, verse 17, ending with the destruction of all things. That's section 5, chapters 15 and 16. Then chapters, or section 6, It's made up of chapter 17 to 19, and they record for us the fall of Babylon, the fall of the great beast, ending once again with final judgment in chapter 19 and verse 11. It says, then I saw heaven open, 19 verse 11, and behold a white horse, the one sitting on it is called the faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war, and he goes on to strike the nations in It's final judgment. I mean, how many times does Jesus come back? Once, right? (laughs) He comes back one time to judge the living and the dead. And we're just seeing seven snapshots of it in the book of Revelation. So, which is to say, Revelation is not chronological. It's not chronological. Section, Section 7, then, is made up of chapters 20 to 22. 
Again, another snapshot of the same scene. We see the defeat of Satan and again final judgment along with a new heaven and a new earth. And we see that these sections overlap. If you consider, for instance, chapters 8 through 11, in chapters 15 and 16, we see seven trumpets and seven what? Bowls. Just picture a big bowl overpouring, just poured forth, poured out. These angels, again, angels are non-corporeal, right? They're non-physical. They're spirit. Obviously, they're not holding a real bowl. We know this, amen? It's symbolic. And the picture is that this bowl is being poured forth, being poured out. And we, we hear seven trumpets. John hears seven trumpets. And as you read through the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments, you'll see that the very things that are being judged are the same things. The earth, the sea, the rivers, the sun, the pit of the abyss, or the throne of the beast. The river Euphrates is mentioned. So you have bowls and you have trumpets, all of which refers to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in judgment. And we, we covered all that, um, and that's on our website if you want to, ever want to go back and listen to the details of it. But uh, the, the judgments af- affect the exact same thing, simply depicting the judgment of God from one perspective by way of trumpets and another perspective by way of bulls being poured out. Both affect the same thing. So it's again, it's a recap with a different emphasis. It's also interesting in section 5, chapter 16 and verse 14, describes the dragon gathering the, the nations for battle. Okay? Now, this is important because this is a general description of the battle. Okay? The battle, not another battle. Because all the movies are made with, with, with a view of the, great, the last great battle, right? And if you go to Israel with, with a friend or someone who gives you a tour who has a dispensational perspective, like a dear friend of mine who does, we stand up there and we, we stand on the cleft of this, this ridge and this rock and we look up down at this beautiful valley and he interprets this as the final battle, The last battle will take place when all the nations of the earth meet here in this valley and and blood will be as high as a horse's bridle flowing down and through the Kidron Valley for 148 miles. Literally, I mean, to a horse's bridle, that's a lot of blood. And the Kidron Valley is somewhat wide. I mean, you can walk it. But a horse's bridle running through the Kidron Valley for 148 miles, that's a lot of blood and a lot of flow. (laughs) When we read about the battle, it's not another battle. We see another section, section 6, chapter 19, verse 19, the same wording. He goes to make or wage the war against him who is sitting on the horse. Same battle described as in chapter 16. Now, in the original, if you go to your little Greek concordance or your Greek New Testament, 
you will see that in the original that there's a definite article there, very important. So the reading goes that he goes and assembles them for the battle on the great day of the Almighty. And every picture uses the same verbiage, the same wording, to make, to make or wage the war. Another section, section 7, chapter 20 and verse 8. Satan will come out to deceive the nations to gather them for the battle. Now, dispensationalists will take chapter 20 and refer to it as another battle, as in the final, final, final battle. After a secret rapture, okay, Christ comes back, and then there's this final, final battle. But you can't interpret it like that. It's the battle, all describing the same thing that lead up to the same events, not different battles where, you know, a future thousand years where Jesus will literally reign on a literal throne from a literal temple in literal Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, everyone's going to rebel. You know, certain people are going to rebel in the kingdom against Jesus. I I can't even imagine that in my head, to be quite honest with you. And I'm not here to cut on any other view. I'm just saying that that's what most people learn about this battle. But again, Revelation 20 is depicting the same great battle, opposition, forces of opposition against Christ and his people throughout time, the church age. So what they do is they take that thousand years, and this is where they build up this, this final, final, final battle is that they look at a thousand as literal. Now, they'll look at seven as symbolic. They'll look at ten as symbolic. But when they get to a thousand, all of a sudden they, they interpret it as a literal one thousand. I, I, I teach the thousand years is another symbolic number, meaning simply a long, long period of time. A thousand years being the time between the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. The kingdom's been established. Okay, it's not a visible kingdom per se, but we are priests and kings in the kingdom now, and it's the, the priests and kings are the church of Jesus Christ. He rules and he reigns now, amen? He rules over the kingdom. He's the king of the kingdom. But yet, in this time that's not yet fully consummated in a new heaven and a new earth, there's still tribulation amongst his people who are part of his kingdom. Therefore, when one reads Revelation, be it in the first century, they could be greatly encouraged to see who wins and how we win. It's because Christ has already conquered. So they can be encouraged that though you may be cast into prison, when he says here to these seven churches, he says to the church of, uh, what's it, Sardis, isn't it? Or Smyrna. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Okay, this is verse 10 of chapter 2. Okay, so he's telling you, you're about to suffer. Don't fear. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will 
have tribulation. And then the Lord tells him, be faithful. How long? Unto what? Unto death. This is how you're going to die. Be faithful until the end. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has a ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So this battle, the battle, is simply being emphasized from different vantage points in those chapters that I just briefly covered. The same battle, it's waged against Christ and his people, same events, different angles. Okay? So first, we must remember Revelation, again, it's not interpreted in chronological form. And people, many people, read it that way. You don't read apocalyptic literature in a laid-out ABC fashion, because it, again, it's what? Pictures. Pictures. Different angles. Like watching a football game, I've used the analogy. I would rather watch a football game at home than go to a live game because you get so many different angles of the play. If you fumble, you are not going... If you're sitting up... I don't care where you're sitting in the stands. You can't tell if his knee hit the ground before he dropped the ball. But if you bring in all the camera angles that we have these days, that's why they do instant replay. Because it's accurate. It just gives you a different perspective. Oh, we couldn't see it from that angle because his hip's in the way. But if we come from over here, we can see, well, the ball hit the ground before his knee hit the ground. Therefore, it is a fumble. And we get all these different angles here. So we don't want to interpret Revelation in chronological order. It's uh, symbolic literature. And I know people may have a question, what about Satan being bound for a thousand years when we get to the end of Revelation? Well, a lot of people will accuse me or others who adhere to the same view. They say, well, you think Satan is bound, that he has no influence on the world. No, that's not true. We have to read the text and see what it is he's bound from. What's more powerful, Satan or the gospel? Go ahead and say it. The gospel. Who was given the keys to the kingdom? Peter and the apostles. He handed the keys of the kingdom to his apostles. It unlocks what? Nations that were enslaved to the power of Satan. But the gospel, he said, take it to the utter ends of the earth. So Satan is bound. He's thrown in the abyss. Do not have time to go into the details of that. I, I did preach all that. And, and you can go look at that. And all the symbolism of being chained. Obviously, this isn't a real chain. It's not a literal chain. Satan, is, again, is spirit. He's not physical. And he, he's bound from deceiving the what? The nations. In any and all of God's elect will come to faith through the heralding of, of the gospel as God has predetermined it in time. So we have to ask, I mean, is there anything to take place? Could Jesus come back in five minutes from now? He either comes back and could come back in five minutes from now or a bunch of things have to take place before he does come back. And we talked about the secret rapture because that's an escape hatch for some people. 
They say, well, there's a secret rapture. Well, the Bible doesn't teach about a secret rapture. We looked at that last week, in case you weren't here. The secret rapture was invented in 1830. We touched on that last week as well. So, at any rate, we got to really have to move on. Now, um, section four. Um, hold on, let me, let me see here. I want to cover what's important. Here's a good principle in understanding Revelation. Everything in the first 11 chapters deals with drama with regard to God's people being persecuted from the vantage point of earth. From the vantage point of earth. We especially see that in the seven letters to the seven churches. And then from chapter 12 to the, to the end of the book, the vantage point shifts for the most part where we begin to see the, the spiritual realities of what's going on down here behind the curtain of the cosmic realm. The spirit world, if you will. And all the struggles that God's people face. So there, in those latter chapters, the, the second half of the book, we, we see the cosmic realm of this world, for which the, you know, the first century church would have understood very well. What they were suffering on earth and getting all these grandiose pictures of what's going on behind the scenes. Okay, now, going back to section 4, um, chapters 12 to 14, we see a male child is born, which I mentioned briefly, um, who will rule the nations with a rod of iron. Who's that? It's Jesus. So th- this also shows us that Revelation is not to be interpreted in chronological fashion because here now all of a sudden Jesus is born in chapter 12. Again, this is just recapping the coming of Christ and final judgment. Chapter 12, we read, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and and ten horns on his heads. Or I'm sorry, in ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven, cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. So here again, a picture of a woman ready to give birth, a picture of a red dragon standing there between her knees ready to, to murder this child. Again, heavy, heavy symbolism. So here, we begin with the birth of Christ. Chapter 14 ends with final judgment. So chapter 12 really is the hub of this entire book. Chapter 12 of Revelation is the hub, and we relate everything to chapter 12 that's going on. This woman ready to give birth. Here between her legs is this red dragon. And the, the woman represents, beloved, the true people of God. Not Mary, as the Catholics interpret this. But God's people from throughout redemptive history. And we, we, we get an idea of this when we go all the way back to Genesis 3. 
If you remember, God said, I, when, when Adam and Eve fell, he said, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. So from Eve onward and throughout all of God's people, the nation of Israel, all of God's people would come this promised one. Now, Catholics interpret this as being Mary. Dispensationalists believe this to be Israel, uh, ethnic Israel. Uh, But this woman, really, it's answered for us in verse 17. The dragon became furious with the, with the what? The woman, and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. God's people. Those who are in Christ. On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of who? Jesus. Jesus. So Jew or Gentile alike, those who are in Christ, those who have been in Christ. Abraham was in Christ, right? Ruth, Moabite, in Christ. She's part of the lineage of Jesus. Was she an ethnic Jew? No. Was she a spiritual Jew? Yes. Was she of the seed of Abraham? Yes. Not ethnically, but spiritually, just as you are, just as I am. So, as we'll see this morning in the sermon, there is an ethnic seed of Abraham, but there's also a spiritual seed of Abraham, and the spiritual seed of Abraham are only those who are in the unique seed of Abraham, who is Jesus Christ himself. Make sense? So it's not Israel according to the flesh that is being described here. It's the Israel of God. So that's who the woman is. Paul says for, you know, circumcision counts for, neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, upon the Israel of God, the true people of God. We're in Christ. Okay, so there's kind of, there's the snapshot of how to interpret Revelation. But look, whatever the case, whatever view one adheres to with regard to Revelation, whether you're premillennial, all-millennial, or post-millennial, whether you take a, a historic view, an idealist view, Uh, whatever the case, all agree. One thing is certain. Okay, our dispensational friends, uh, whoever, uh, until you get out out of bounds into these weird interpretive ideals of Revelation like hyper um, preterism. Preterism is a perfectly sent, by the way, biblical preterism meaning past, that Revelation... Uh, 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 was completely fulfilled with the exception of the return of Jesus Christ at 70 A.D. Okay, that's a perfectly sound interpretation, by the way. 
And if I knew, as I said last week, that Revelation was written before 70 AD, if there was some archaeological discovery, I would be a partial preterist, no doubt about it. I would be. But the popular view is, is that it was written after that. But whatever one believes, however they interpret this, all agree with, with the bottom line, and that is the triumph of Jesus Christ, that he triumphs over his enemies. He has and he will, amen? The victory has been won. I mean, look, look at what we read if you go back to chapter 4. Verse 2, at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had an appearance of, again, an appearance of, Jasper, Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. You know, many times John uses that language, you know, it looked like, it sounded like, it appeared as. Verse 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Okay, we have God the Father, God the Son, and how many Holy Spirits? One. Here, again, symbolic language, the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion. The second, like a living creature, like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them had six wings full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never ceased to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Verse 11, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. Chapter 5, I saw... In the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Written on the front and the back. We get something of that in Ezekiel, don't we? And what is Ezekiel commanded to do with such a scroll? To eat it. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and the seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been Slain. There it is. None is found worthy. Weep no more, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is worthy. And out of the seed of Jesse, David's greater son, would come Messiah. So what was heard and what he saw was something different. And he sees the suffering servant, the one who in his humiliation saved his people. 
by way of the cross, conquering death, conquering sin, raising up, ascending to heaven, ruling and reigning for all eternity. All those that are in Christ are forever what? Chapter 7, sealed. Sealed from what, beloved? The unmitigated wrath of God. Judgment. That is how someone in the first century could be encouraged that they are sealed and protected from the judgment of God because this one bore the judgment of God in our place. He is victor. He is king. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen? So that either helped you or probably confused you more, one or the other. And uh, hopefully it helped. But again, um, if you weren't here, I did preach through 15 chapters of Revelation. And those are available online. Um, If you go back, if you're confused, you can listen to the first two introductions. I did two messages on just the introduction of Revelation, which I think are very helpful. Very helpful. In understanding the principles of interpretation here. All right, so I'm out of time. And I know that there would be a lot of questions with Revelation, but we're like three minutes over, so I apologize. Good way out, isn't it? (laughs) That's my escape hatch. Just kidding. Father, we do thank you for the revelation of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we do thank you that just as the first century church could read it and be deeply and greatly encouraged in the midst of their suffering and tribulation, um, knowing who the conquering hero is, that uh, they could be on the lookout, not for the Antichrist, but for the King of kings, the Lord of glory, your Son, Jesus Christ. And help us in the same Lord, to be able to read this book and adhere to the promise at the beginning of the book that those who read and those who hear these words and understand them, that they will be blessed. So help us, Lord, to understand the glorious truth and the encouragement that is found in the revelation of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.